Hello, dear listeners. Voices podcast is on air. A podcast about the people whose freedom, will and possibilities have no limits. A podcast about the soul and emotions, about the stories that are hard to image in 21st century. Today we are happy to speak to Sasha, who is an active member of Marches of People with Disabilities. Sasha is also actively sharing her story on social media and is spreading awareness about the events happening in Belarus. Sasha, um, hello. Please tell us a little bit about your life before 2020. Hello there. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here and to be able to uh, share my story. Um, my name is Sasha. I am uh, 34 years old. I uh, work as a technical writer. I was born and raised in Belarus. And um, my uh, interesting story is that... Um, Until uh, the events of last year, I was in a very privileged position where I did not uh, participate in the events uh, of uh, the politics in Belarus. And I just felt like um, they do not concern me. But then last year, I realized that uh, political processes affect everyone in the country and I started participating very actively, uh, especially after the elections. And uh, right now I am, you could say, a protester. Oh, nice to hear it. So, Sasha, did you start your political activity during presidential campaign in 2020 or maybe earlier? Yes, in fact, um, When the uh, preparations uh, for the elections were only starting, I was sort of observing them from a distance, reading information about the different candidates uh, and, you know, just being curious. Uh, but then when uh, the first uh, sort of wave of... Uh, um, Repressions started happening when the presidential um, candidates were falsely accused and imprisoned. Um, I started realizing that this was probably going to be a very difficult um, situation for our country. And uh, when the United uh, presidential campaign of uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya was um established uh, then i decided that this was the possibly the best time the a very important time where it was especially important for people to gather and rally together and you know uh try and make this big um stance uh for Svetlana's uh position in the elections and that is when I realized that I wanted to get involved in the election. Hmm. Okay, uh, Sasha, what's triggered you to start actively speaking out against the current authorities? Um, honestly, uh, after the first couple of weeks after the election, Um, when, you know, everything was happening every day, something new uh, was happening in Belarus and there were such uh, shocking uh, 
accounts being shared about the uh, events that took place in the first, you know, couple of days, the wave of violence, you know, the terrible uh, police brutality and people being arrested by the thousands and, you know, people losing their lives and things like that. And um, after a little while, I noticed uh, through my... uh, presence on social media that many uh, people I knew, um, many friends I had from different countries were sending me messages or comments under my posts uh, saying that they had no idea that this was happening, that this was not anywhere on their local news. So they actually had no idea that Belarus was going through this crisis. Um, So I... uh, thought that uh, one of the reasons was possibly that there is the problem of the language barrier and um, especially in those first maybe two or three months, maybe like a month or two, um, so much uh, news was coming out every single day, so much was happening that uh, people who were, you know, uh, reporting on the news in Russian and Belarus- Belarusian, I believe, simply didn't have the time or resources to also uh, provide reports in English, either, you know, create content in English or take the news written in Russian or Belarusian and then translate it into English and then, you know, share it to um, international news uh, companies to have that information, you know, spread uh, in other countries. Um, and especially, I think, uh, after I <laughs> after I was arrested in September, uh, on September 19th, uh, and I shared the photos uh, on my social media of me being <laughs> arrested and dragged by my arms uh, by three uh, big men in masks. When I shared those photos, they sort of went viral a little bit um, and I gained more like followers on Twitter and Instagram and I thought that uh, this was an opportunity for me to share this platform, use this platform, even though it's still fairly small. Um, But um, I still want to use what resources I have to spread awareness and, uh, you know, share with other countries, with people from all over the world. And any small uh, result is... A positive positive result however you look at it and um even if one person sees my post on instagram or tiktok or somewhere and then goes and makes a donation or you know writes a supportive email or takes a photo and posts it online expressing their solidarity with belarus then i think that i made something that had a positive impact. Right. Okay. That's great. Um, okay, Sasha, we would like to um, learn a little bit more about your life in Belarus. 
Um, could you please tell us how are people with disabilities treated in Belarus and what life conditions do they have in the country? I get this question a lot and I think the main sort of way I personally speak about it is I feel very sad and frustrated by the current living situation of people with disabilities because I think um, because the Soviet Union um, fell apart only several decades ago, we still have, especially in Belarus, because we are known for uh, politics that are not big fans of, you know, progress and positive changes. Um, so in the Soviet Union, it was considered shameful to have disabilities. Um, if you were unable to, you know, perform and be a good worker and be super productive and be very physically capable, then you were sort of seen as useless in the society. And so um, people with disabilities historically were very much isolated and ignored by the society. And as a result, in the modern times, we live in, you know, countries and cities that were created um, in that time. And our cities are simply not accessible to people with disabilities. There are just the easiest example is to go from my apartment door outside of my house, you know, to simply go out of my home and be outside in the street, I have to go through three flights of stairs just from my apartment to the elevator to outside. And this is in almost every single house in Belarus. And there are very few exceptions to that. And so for people who have, you know... Um, mobility limitations, whether it's uh, a wheelchair, crutches, or any other condition, um, it is very, very physically difficult to simply even leave your home. And then you need to, you know, get on a bus, and that is also difficult. And then you need to, I don't know, go down to a subway station, and that is almost impossible. <laughs> and so... Um, there are many, many examples like that of things that are just not built with disabled people in mind. And and what happened is that uh, because we have this very inaccessible uh, environment that we all grew up in, we have pretty much a whole generation of people who barely even see disabled people around them. Because we never, a lot of us never or hardly ever leave our homes. So we can't, you know, go to work properly. We can't move around cities properly. So as a result of that, we have an entire society that grew up that does not know how to interact with disabled people on, you know, on a personal level. And this uh, creates a lot of discomfort just, you know, for living <laughs> in a society it's uh it's not sadly it's not the most comfortable existence i have to say
Right. That sounds terrible and very sad. Um, could you tell us what kind of support and help does the government provide you, if any? Um, well, my my mother would speak better about this than me because she remembers more uh, of the past than I do. My memory is sadly very selective, but um, I was not uh, born disabled. I became disabled when I was a child. I was in a house fire when I was a baby. Um, so when the fire happened, uh, my mother had to quit her job to stay at home and take care of me. And so, uh, since then she, um, until I think until I turned 18, she had received a sort of pension that is, uh, meant specifically for parents of, uh, disabled children. Um, and I believe the way she described this pension, you know, the amount of money was that in, uh, the Soviet times, uh, because I was still born in the Soviet Union, uh, in the Soviet times, uh, the money that she received for the entire month for taking care of me was enough Uh, for buying, I think she said like eight packets of like dried soup, like something like that. It was a very small amount of money. And, um, after that, when I, uh, got older, I was, uh, receiving my own, uh, disability pension and it was also really, really small. Um, I was very fortunate, uh, in that I, I went to school, I, after school I went to college, I got, you know, a proper higher education, and I was able to find a pretty good job in Belarus. I work in IT, <laughs> which is sort of like the, the golden ticket in Belarus in terms of professions, I guess, um... So I was able to create um, living conditions for myself where I am able to support myself financially, uh, regardless of my physical um, limitations. But I must say that this is not the the standard situation for many disabled people in Belarus, sadly. A lot of people are unable to work or even, you know, find work because it's difficult to get hired um, when you have disabilities. Okay. Uh, so, as we already know, uh, you were actively participating in the protest movements, so especially in the marches of people with dis disabilities. Please tell us uh, what they look like and how many people are participating in them. Oh, honestly... Um The marches of people with disabilities are some of my uh, probably strongest memories from uh, last fall. Um, I don't remember exactly when they started, uh, but it was an initiative created by several active people who were disabled themselves. And it started as something very, very small. I think the first March, there was maybe like 
I don't know, 30 or 40 people in total. And that was including, I don't know, maybe there was like 15 or 20 people with disabilities and then maybe 15 or 20 people who came there as moral support. <laughs> um, and we uh, were able to walk only a very, very small distance because, you know, several people were um, on wheelchairs, several people were on crutches, and several people were just able to walk only very slowly. Um, so it was a very kind of slow and emotional march uh, through the city. Um, and then I think the largest one, the largest march, w which was, I think, the third, the third or fourth one, I think there was more than a hundred people there. I don't know how, but it was definitely a lot bigger than the first one. And I remember feeling really, really powerful that day. I think I um, participated in four in total. And after that, I got... Uh, diagnosed with COVID in November, so I had to take the whole month off to get better and also to isolate myself. Yeah, okay. How does the government react to these marshes and uh, people with disabilities being repressed or not? Yes, sadly, sadly, uh, this movement was, um, I won't say it ended because people are still being active, but the marches uh, ended, sadly, uh, in November while I was still at home, busy having COVID. Um, the government uh, and the police forces started targeting uh, the disability marches very heavily to the point where um, because the marches were announced online, so that people could come there and, you know, come to the location, show their support, hang out, participate in the march. Um, because the location was made public, the police would come in big vans just ahead of time and just wait there. And as soon as several people, like maybe 10 or 20 uh, people gathered, uh, the police would jump out and arrest them. And so um, the problem when you have a disability is that you can't run away. You can't, you know, simply walk away and blend in with the crowd or, you know, become <laughs> invisible somewhere and just hide because you have, you know, a big wheelchair or some, some other limitation. Um, so, sadly, um, after several attempts of uh, gathering in the city, the marches had to stop. I know right now that uh, there is a group of people with disabilities who um, travel around the city and uh, make little demonstrations in public spaces where they, you know bring flags or posters or t and take pictures and then post them online. But I don't have any communication with this group, so I unfortunately don't know their plans. All right. 
We have seen a picture on your Instagram where three men wearing masks um, are detaining you. Could you possibly tell us about this moment? Oh, that was a fun moment for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this happened on September 19th. I was participating in an all-women's march uh, on a Saturday. It had become a sort of tradition that on Sundays we had the big uh, general marches for everyone. And then on Saturdays we had uh, all-women's marches in the, in the city center. Um, so we gathered. Uh, I don't remember how many there was in total several hundred for sure um and we marched in the city uh for i don't know maybe like an hour and a half or two hours something like that um and then um again lots and lots of men in masks um in balaclavas uh showed up in police vans and uh, surrounded us, and we were kind of forced against the wall of a, a very long building. And then they started arresting everyone. And I believe that day, uh, they arrested 400, I think 430 something, more than 400 women were arrested in total. And uh, that, that photo on my Instagram is me getting dragged to the police van. We spent about four, 40 minutes uh, being transported in the van uh, to the police station. And then we, held, we were held at the police station for around four or five hours in the hallway, just sitting on the cold floor. And then we were released. And then, and, and then about, about two months later, uh, a little less, uh, or more like a month and a half, I received a letter uh, informing me about the court hearing. So I, I was fined for about $200 for the participation in the march. Okay. Sasha, tell us, please, uh, what has been the scariest moment for you since summer 2020? I think a very scary moment for me that definitely pops up in my memory was actually uh, my birthday. Um, on October 25th, uh, which is my birthday, uh, it happened that last year it was a Sunday so uh, and it was the Sunday of the uh, Tikhanovskaya ultimatum if you remember it was announced to be on October 25th uh, so that was I think one of the biggest marches uh, since August there was a lot of people it was really 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 big And, of course, I went marching. We went with a group of friends. And it was... The entire day was honestly great. We felt so inspired and so energized. And it was amazing. And I actually made a poster. Uh, it's also on my Instagram. The poster said, 
Hey, it's my birthday. <laughs> I would like very much to receive uh, the present of uh, people winning against the dictatorship, something like that. Um, so a lot of people, just complete strangers, came up to me and wished me a happy birthday. And it was really, really nice. And the, the whole day was very nice like that. But then in the evening uh, of that day, the march was already sort of coming to an end. And uh, my friends and I, we went to stay at, let's let's say, at one of my friend's houses. We were going to rest and order pizza and, you know, just take a break after marching all day. Um, so we left the march. We... Uh, put our things down and we decided we ordered pizza <laughs> and we decided to um, go to the store uh, and buy some drinks for everyone and we were standing by the door we were not we were still not far from where the march was still you know going by and we were in that area where uh, when the police started dispersing the march. So I vividly remember the moment when we were standing behind glass doors, planning to go outside to go to the store, and we started hearing flash grenades everywhere around us, just between the houses, between people's homes, and we saw people start running past our house down the street, and everyone in, all of my friends were shocked. We were all shocked. But then we opened the door. We started, you know, waving our hands and yelling for people to come inside. And about, I don't know, 50 people ran in. And uh, we shut the door and we turned off the lights. And we hid there for several hours. And... um my friends called their friends, people who had cars who came over and took people, like two or three or four people in one car and drove them to their homes. And we spent several hours like that and it sort of turned into a refugee operation. And I think that evening was really scary for all of us. And I think I will remember for the rest of my life that scene of people starting to run and the sound of flash grenades really, really close. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that kind of <laughs> sticks to the memory. And there, there were a lot, there were a lot, there were a lot of things like that 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 happened to us uh, throughout the past six months but this this evening definitely sticks out in my memory i don't know maybe because it was my birthday <laughs> oh, all right yeah it sounds terrible and it's even hard to imagine that something like this happens in 21st century just in front of your door i think it was either ironically or interestingly enough i think maybe August 16th, the first Sunday March, when 
I think it was estimated that over 500,000 people gathered in Minsk alone. And, you know, being there in the center of it, I feel like those numbers are true because it was just an ocean of people everywhere. Uh, and I think that Sunday, August 16th, was the day that really gave me hope that the Belarusian people are going to win this battle for for our freedom and for democracy. I think that was the day when I realized that I wanted to fight this fight and that so many people were there with me and everywhere around me that I think that was the day when I was the most um, uplifted and inspired by Belarusians as, you know, as a nation that I am a part of. Yeah, you are pretty much active on uh, social media, as we all know, and are sharing the current events happening in Belarus with your followers. So you are openly criticizing the government on internet. Aren't you afraid that one day they will come for you? <laughs> of course I am. Absolutely. And especially, especially now uh, when, uh, you know, you read stories about somebody receiving a jail sentence for, I don't know, uh, calling somebody uh, a bad name uh, on Telegram. Uh, like or say calling the president a bad word or something like that um and then i look at myself and i become very scared <laughs> i'm not even gonna deny it um but i feel like um i am in a position where i can do this i have the resources and the ability to share this information and i can't do many other things that other people are doing and especially like right now it's the winter and i uh, don't uh, function very well in cold weather um so i don't you know go outside as much i don't go to marches and rallies as much so i feel like i need to contribute and i need to keep doing something uh to help everyone and to um you know uh do my share of the work uh, so i feel like so i feel like and especially uh, you know uh, knowing a foreign language i have this position where i almost feel an obligation to share this information because i can <laughs> but how do your followers treat political content on the social media do you have any haters Honestly, sometimes sometimes it happens. Uh, if uh, a post on Twitter or TikTok, uh, you know, gets a bit more, becomes a bit more popular than average and uh, gets shared a lot, then I can see a few comments comments from bots or conservatives or just haters and trolls and stuff like that. But honestly, um, 
I don't know. May, may, maybe it's because I'm still a very small account. Like, I don't have thousands of followers and thousands of fans and stuff like that. I'm, I only have like a few hundred followers here and there. Um, so whenever I get like a troll comment or a hater comment, I almost feel good about it. <laughs> I almost feel like it means that I was noticed. You know what I mean? It's kind of it kind of feels like an achievement. <laughs> yeah, of course. <gasps> right. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So 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 uh, yeah, and honestly, I want to say that getting like hate comments it motivates me more. Uh okay, Sasha. We just have like two more short questions um for you. And the question that interests, I think, a lot of people, in your opinion, will 2021 finish without Lukashenko? Oh, God, this is the most difficult question. I really, I wish, I really hope so. I really, really hope so. Because I I feel like one, one thing I, I immediately think about is so many people, over 200 already, have received uh, prison sentences over completely stupid, uh, mindless, idiotic reasons. Like, I don't know, only I think last week or two weeks ago, a man was sentenced to like three or four years in jail for throwing a flower at a police officer. And there are so many stories like that and I really hope that we win soon not even for myself or for my friends or for my family but most of all for these people because going to jail for something so stupid is just it it it's enraging it just it makes me so angry and so frustrated that people are stuck in awful conditions uh, for for these uh, dumb reasons um on the other side i i try to be honestly a little bit pessimistic because i'm afraid that if things that we want to happen don't happen or they take longer then i am worried that i will get depressed and demotivated and I will give up. And I really, really want to avoid that. Because I already felt this last year. Um, I really hoped that the current events would be over by the end of the year. I really, really hoped for that. And it didn't happen. So in December, I, w I had a, a really difficult time mentally because it was it was just hard. <laughs> to keep going so right now i am just trying to you know um stay positive and hopeful but also um keep my expectations low just to avoid being disappointed and demotivated because i know that some people like you know nina baginska and many other members of the opposition They have been protesting for decades, since the 90s. And I realized that who knows 
how long this might take. This might take a long time, but it still means that we need to keep going until we win. Yeah, we all hope for the best. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so the last question for you will be: What should New Belarus be like according to you? Hmm. If I had to say one word to express my vision, that word would be diverse. Because I think uh, what's important right now is that Belarusians are learning from, you know, their own experience what it's like to be oppressed, what it's like to be discriminated against by the system of power. Uh, what it's like to be terrorized by the people who were supposed to support you and protect you. Um, so I really, really hope that people will take this experience and learn from it what it's like um, to be in a marginalized group within a society, like somebody with disabilities, for example. So I really hope that when we finally start, you know, working on creating and building a new Belarus of the future, I really hope that it will be very diverse and open and accepting and supportive to people from absolute all different backgrounds. And I really, really hope that I will get to be a part of that change. We hope so too. We keep our fingers crossed. Yay! Um, Toes crossed. <laughs> Sasha, thank you so much for your answers, for your time and the courage to share your story. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really hope that this information will reach someone and hopefully inspire someone to uh, share, show their support in some way. Maybe make a small donation or post a picture in solidarity or do something else any help any help is appreciated and the global support that we've received so far has been amazing and means a lot to all of us so thank you very much we will keep an eye on the events that take place in belarus and believe that people will defeat the dictator's regime follow us on instagram and twitter this podcast will be available on streaming platforms castbox apple podcast and spotify Please leave your comments below the episode. What story would you like to hear? Leave your opinions and options in the comments. The history is being written in front of our eyes and it's important that every voice is heard. We aren't saying goodbye because we are online. So, see you soon.